0: Hey everybody, this is Mike Joseph, host of the Detoxicity Podcast. Before we begin this week's episode, I want to remind you, please subscribe, rate, and comment on this podcast wherever you're listening to it. You can find me on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy and on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. Reach out via DM with comments, or if you know someone who'd be good to feature on an episode, or if you yourself would like to be interviewed, you can also email me for that. I am at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Finally, just want to remind everybody to wear a mask and social distance. Please be kind to others and be kind to yourselves. Thanks for listening, and I hope you and yours stay and remain safe and healthy. In this episode of Detoxicity, I interview Crispin Cott, co-author of the Rock and Roll Explorer's Guide to New York City and the upcoming Rock and Roll Explorer's Guide to the Bay Area. Interestingly enough, interestingly enough, <laughs> at the time this episode was recorded, Crispin was prepping for a cross-country relocation from New York to the Bay Area in the middle of the pandemic. He and I talk about the move, as well as delving into topics like divorce and remarriage, procrastination, progressive politics, parenting, and much, much more. And I did not realize that I was so fond of alliteration from that last sentence. Anyway, check this interview out. I think you'll like it.
1: My name is Crispin Cott. I am a writer and author of uh, books that I like to say are books at maximum volume. uh, (laughs) That includes the Rock and Roll Explorer Guide to New York City, which came out in 2018. I'm co-author with my friend uh, and uh, colleague, Mike Katz. And for that book, we have the great Legs McNeil gave us a forward. Nice. Uh, Also that year, we put out a book called The Little Book of Rock and Roll Wisdom, which is sort of an illustrated compendium of terrible advice from people who should not be giving advice. (laughs) Rock stars. Uh, And then we have a new book coming out in March of 2021 called The Rock and Roll Explorer Guide to San Francisco in the Bay Area. Uh, With a forward by Joel Gian from The Brian Jonestown Massacre.
0: Nice. Yep. So writing... It's really interesting because most of my interviews have been with people that work in creative fields, and I feel like the majority of these people, and people who work in creative fields in general, whether they're writers or artists or musicians or actors or whatever, have to have at least one side hustle. <laughs> do, do, do you have a side hustle, Crispin?
1: I mean, my side hustle is writing straight news uh, for newspapers.
0: Okay, <laughs> so you're... you're, so you're I'm still- yeah, your side hustle is related to your hustle. It's like,
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. It's all it's all writing uh, right now. Although you know, when I
0: when my wife and I
1: get out to Oakland next month, uh, I'm going to be looking for something new with a little bit uh, steadier hours. And if if it's writing, that would be great. But if not, uh, we'll see.
0: Okay. And what is the uh, impetus behind the cross country Because you're based, or er, when I met you, you were based in New York City.
1: Yeah, in Brooklyn. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we, my, my wife grew up in Oakland, in the Bay Area.
1: I've lived in San Francisco a couple of times myself. And we've been sort of plotting this move for a few years. We've lived in Brooklyn together for 11 years and wanted to make a change. We're tired of the humidity. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and we have a lot of friends and family out there, just like we do in Brooklyn and New York City area. But, you know, we kind of feel like this is where we want to be for our family
0: and for ourselves. Right on. And are you an East Coast, like born and raised person? I was born in Chicago uh, when I was raised on the East Coast.
1: Although I I did split time between New York slash New Jersey and also California, because growing up my parents divorced when I was five. and By the time I was seven, I think my dad was in California he was kind of working to become a writer and producer uh, of television shows in Hollywood. So we would spend summers with him and stuff, and and eventually he he gained success in that and came back and did it on the East Coast. So,
0: right on. What was it like growing up with a a parent that was in the entertainment industry? Well, I mean, it was it was there were pluses and minuses.
1: Uh, the minuses were that we didn't get to see so much of him because he was on the completely opposite coast. And when we did see him, he was very busy. But but, you know, it was also kind of cool. It was cool to 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 be able to kind of tangibly see work that that my father had done and see my dad's name on, you know, on on television in the credits. And before that, he was he was writing in advertising when I was when I was little. So that was also fun too. We'd go to sets. I remember going to a Reese's peanut butter cup set. <sighs> getting a big pile of Reese's peanut butter cups to take home, which was a pretty big thrill when I was, you know, four or five, however old it was. Yeah, really. Uh, and then the same sort of applied. I, I, You know, I liked, I'm not particularly interested in seeing how the sausage is made when we're talking about actual sausage, but I like it. Uh, <laughs> I like it when, we, when it comes to television or music or any number of uh, entertainment fields that I'm interested in.
0: Do you think the writing was kind of like the apple not falling far from the tree or? Was I'm it not some... sure. I, you know, I, I,
1: I did, you know, I, I, played drums and I thought I would be a musician and that you know is is obviously a very difficult uh, thing to get into and and I was writing anyway just for pleasure so that sort of became a lot easier and you know bringing a laptop somewhere is is much easier than you know schlepping a drum kit <laughs> drums that yeah really yeah, yeah so <laughs> so it became it, it became a product of of my desire not to to, to be able to ride the subway without you know, putting people out of their seats. <laughs> Particularly now in the time of social distancing. <laughs> well, that would create, that would in, in, invariably create a, That's true. a, a, a field of uh, people cannot get near me if I set my kid up uh, entirely on the G
0: train. That is true. That is true. <laughs> Did not think of that. No. Uh, <laughs> so, I, I, you know, talking about family life, I mean, was, devo- I mean, was divorce kind of like a, a shock to you, or did it? Yeah, I th- yeah, I think so.
1: I mean, I, like I said, I was I was five, going on six, and so it was it was very it was traumatizing, and and you know, despite my parents' efforts to try and not make it so, but you know, as I found later through my own divorce, that that it's it even if it hurts the kid at the time if you're you know it's it's better than sticking together for the sake of of the kid just to you know go through a bad marriage because i think kids pick up on that
0: yeah i mean i don't have any direct experience with divorce but i do feel as though if kids can tell when their parents are unhappy together yeah and i think that that scars them more than Parents who were eventually able to find a happier life with someone that is not, you know, the other parent.
1: And I have to say that that in, in my case, my uh, ex-wife and I have a, a fairly good, friendly relationship, and I feel like, you know, for the most part, we've worked together to do what's best for our son, who is now 18, and 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 so that. Once we kind of got over the the shock of of maybe not a shock but over the reality of finally ending a relationship that was- pr- probably not working for some time, it became very easy to focus on doing right by our kid, which I think we've always managed to do together so I'm not sure where I learned that lesson but uh it's, <laughs> you know it's uh, i mean my parents my parents did too uh although they didn't get along with each other as well, I think, as my ex-wife and
0: I do. Sure, sure. And, yeah, I guess that's a good question. How did you sort of learn, I'm trying to phrase this question properly, like, from whom did you learn about kind of like family and masculinity and, you know, kind of growing up and, I mean, being a musician and knowing, me personally, knowing the music that you like, which isn't, you know particularly like middle of the road like you know rock and roll like dude music you know what i guess what what was the process like i you know particularly in like your teenage and, and early 20s years just kind of like navigating the world you know as as all of these things as uh, someone with divorced parents as someone you know whose whose uh, parent was in the entertainment business just that's kind of a unique upbringing
1: yeah, I, you know, I think that a lot of it is what I saw. A lot of it is what I saw and did not want to emulate. Not in my own family necessarily, but but elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I I was raised in a family on both sides, both both parent sides, with very strong women who really, you know, set great examples in in not only lacking prejudices themselves, but in Speaking openly against prejudice, and that was you know my my grandmother was my grandmother Marguerite, who we named uh, our six- year- old daughter after she was a big civil rights supporter and, and went to the march on washington and you know my my grandparents on the other side, they had a cross burned on their lawn because they refused to not befriend a black couple and
0: Holy shit. when my
1: grandfather was in a teacher's college in Missouri and because he wanted to integrate schools there. My grandfather, my, my Marguerite's husband, Bernard, on my dad's side, he was the only dentist in Cranford, New Jersey at the time who would see black patients. You know, so we have, uh, it, now that's not, we're talking specifically about race here, but that also applies to other prejudices. And so because my family was involved in the arts, they, you know, I, I, there were a lot of people, various sexual proclivities and 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 genders and and things going on around me that you know I perceived as totally normal. So I never so it never occurred to me to to lay this sort of crazy masculine trip on top of that. Sure. You know, it always just like it always irritated me when I would see somebody behaving and as a kid, even like as a little kid, it irritated me when I would see somebody, you know, treating somebody of of a different race with, with derision the same was true if if somebody you know like used a word like faggot or something like that it just right. like what is wrong with what is wrong with you <laughs> like even as a kid i kind of recognized that 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 love is love and 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 everybody should be treated equally even if clearly they weren't and so my ideas of masculinity were that were not kind of based in Guns and I don't know whatever the stereotypes are. Right. I didn't Really have I didn't really have those guns uh, and cars and yeah yeah and I didn't really have those uh, influences in my life. You know, growing up as a as a liberal, <laughs> Northeasterner. <laughs> right. So it yeah, wasn't that wasn't I didn't really so fortunately I was able to kind of escape the pressure to to adhere to a very specific type of masculinity that is, you know, quite rightly uh, d- discussed as being toxic today.
0: Sure. Yeah, I mean, I, that's really interesting for me to hear, because you, like me, were born in the 1970s. No, sixty nine. am um,
1: 69. Are you,
0: oh, you, you, you missed, <laughs> it, you missed the, the 70s. Wow, right? <laughs> the, the few months that I was there for. <laughs> and I feel as though, like, my generation slash our generation, like, that was reasonably uncommon at least in the world that i grew up in yeah to be around you know just to ex- have an experience of such a wide swath of people just being accepted as people I, I, yeah. I feel like it's certainly way more common now than it was you know 40 50 years ago
1: absolutely yeah it, and 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 you know and and it wasn't always like that for me when we when i was 10 years old my my parents were already divorced. We moved from Teaneck, New Jersey, to uh, Socrates, New York, which is upstate. And right. uh, and and I, there, I saw I was uh, exposed to uh, a lot more blatant prejudice than I had been. You know, I was in 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 many ways I was sort of cocooned. And we went to a very liberal private school with uh, that was multi ethnic, and we called our teachers by their first names, and and it didn't occur to me that that uh, my friends of Asian descent or my friends uh, who were black or anything like that would be treated differently because I had never seen it before. And I had only been told treat everybody equally. Right. So when I saw it uh, or heard it, you know, in sixth grade was my first year in public school uh, in upstate New York. And, and, and it was very shocking to me. And so, you know, it, 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 especially, you know, because I was so unaware that people seem to have to kind of like look out on people.
0: Right. Exactly. And that's That's got to be culture shock for sure.
1: It was. Yeah.
0: <laughs> so as a writer switching gears a little bit, particularly as someone who does it professionally, like for a day job and like a secondary job or, you know, yeah for a career and for fun I guess we'll say sure how do you not get burnt out because I do a lot of fair amount of writing and and I did more you know five six seven eight years ago and I think I just kind of hit a point where I was like I can't and don't want to do this anymore like it takes a lot more (laughs) effort these days than it did eight years ago.
1: Well, I do get burned out
0: <laughs> okay so oh, I'm not alone <laughs> no not at all i you
1: know i i have I'm very comfortable with deadlines, and I will say that working newspaper stories, which I have to be you know, which which can be pretty dry and very i'm not really allowed to put my personal opinions uh, sure in my, in these stories it it makes it a little bit easier for me to to Get then kind of focus on things that I want to write, whether it's a novel that I'm working on or one of the books that we've done. So you know, the, it's different types of writing that have kind of helped me from getting too burned out on it. But I certainly do get burned out, and I and much as I've enjoyed writing for for as a journalist, I'm really looking forward to not writing as a journalist anymore. <laughs> and you know, whatever like, which is why I'm sort of open to to uh, seeing what. Uh, might be out there for me because I just don't particularly want to do this anymore and I kind of like the idea of uh, steady hours and, <laughs> yeah, like and you know, and a, a salary movie.
0: yeah and insurance yeah. and all of that wonderful stuff that comes with yeah it. yeah five job yeah exactly do you I'm assuming that you like most writers sometimes like I mean, what's your writing style? I guess before I go to the next question, like, are you sitting in front of a computer? Are you actually like putting a pen to paper? What's
1: I my I've used a computer strictly for for so long that my handwriting has suffered tremendously. As a result. <laughs> I, I,
0: you know what, Crispin, I that exact same thing has happened to me. I used to, <laughs> I, I'm like I used to have like great penmanship, and now yeah. like. Even when I'm like writing a note to myself, I'm like, what does this say?
1: It's completely illegible. It's the same. The <laughs> muscles the muscles that I had kind of worked into into shape for writing when I was doing things like scribbling into notebooks when I sort of first started writing creatively, they don't they haven't been used that way to that degree for so long that they really are just like atrophied. <laughs> uh, so, so it's happens. like like sometimes I'll look at a pen in my hands like, is this even how I hold it?
0: <laughs> it's true. It is yeah. Yeah. Um, so when you're sitting at the computer and you, you are trying to put something together and your brain just locks, like, does that happen? Like, do you just get, I mean, they call it writer's block, right? Like just sort of like stumped.
1: Absolutely. It, that happens a little bit more with creative writing. Like I mentioned a novel, I've been working on a novel for a few years and, and, uh, it is sort of based on, on a band that I was in in college, and uh, I thought it would be funny to see what would happen if somebody who was like a a secret fan as a as a kid as a teenager became a a, a hugely famous celebrity and wants to get this band that nobody has ever heard of to reunite to play a party for his fortieth birthday. Okay. So I started thinking about you know what would it be like to to for all these people, many of them that I haven't seen in, in, since that band split up because we were all in college. What would it be like for them to have to get together? So, so the idea is sound. And once I start really thinking about the idea, I can get rolling on, on, on writing for the book. But, but there are times when I'm like completely stumped. That happens a lot less with both journalism and, and also with the books that I've written because with the novel, nobody's waiting for it. <laughs> so, so I'm like at the mercy of my own like hyper critical view of my own work and, and, and wanting to get it right rather than like knowing that there's a clock ticking somewhere. Right. Uh, nobody other than friends right now I hope uh, are, are, are interested in reading this, and you know.
0: Well, ideally, after I'll, hearing this, you might have a little bit more pressure on you.
1: <laughs> well, if somebody wants to give me some real pressure, I'll be able to finish it a lot more quickly. Than, uh, if somebody wants to publish this, or at least wants to represent me, <laughs> that would that would get it finished probably a lot more quickly, and, and it would be great than if than if I am just left to my own devices. So yeah, there, I definitely uh, get that, and and you know, look in the in the in the internet age it's also easy to get like pulled into, you know, well, I'm going to look at, uh, you know, cute bunnies on YouTube (laughs) and then suddenly like five hours are gone.
0: Like what the hell happened? I just watched five hours of cat videos. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
1: But, and it's also true of like, you know, I I do a pretty good job now. I have to of of, uh, not going onto news sites because I, because I, you know, I'll read 15 minutes and then I'll spend like, you know, the next couple of hours like wrapped, racked with anxiety.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, so I, you know, I have to deliberately force myself to not, you know, get sucked into many of the things that are out there, both, you know, in the horrible news cycle, but also like entertaining things like my computer, in addition to being I can use it for research and for writing, I can also use it to to watch 10 episodes in a row of Shits Creek. <laughs> <laughs> and then the day is gone. Yes. Uh, so I have this device, and it's also, and it, I have a phone that does that, I right? Have a tablet that does that, and, and you know, like everywhere around us are distractions, and so it can be um, that is also uh, perilous when you're talking about uh, about you know wanting to stay focused and getting things done. Right. I, Here's a I, I, let me let me give you a little quote here that I think is kind of fun. Okay. Funny that that is. It's a Jerry Garcia quote. Mm-hmm. And he is, you know, the the dead are or, or the dead. Right. They did a lot of live stuff. They did not do a lot of. They did some studio. Albums, they did a but, fair but amount of his, studio stuff. They did. But this was, you know, I was I was having a discussion with somebody. And they were talking about how prolific the dead. Were. I said, well, and so I I remembered a quote and I found it. it was, he said, I don't wake up in the morning and say, geez, I feel great today. I think I'll write a song. I mean, anything is more interesting to me than writing a song. It's like, I think I'd like to write a song. No, I guess I'd better go feed the cat first. (laughs) You know what I mean? It's like pulling teeth. I don't enjoy it a bit. And sometimes writing feels like that in the way I write. It's just like, ah, God, I don't want to do this. You know, maybe I'll make some popcorn and see what happens next. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I have the same same issue where it's like, ah, I could write something, but I could also read this book or listen to this record or play this game or feed the cat. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And these days more so than you know, I compare it and I don't know how valid this comparison is to listening to records. Like when I was a kid, I could stand in front of a record player and listen to a side of a record straight through and not be distracted and not feel the need to do anything else. Yeah. These days if I'm putting on a record I feel guilty if I'm not doing anything else.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's a lot of pressure to, to to be busy all the time. Right. I kind of like records for that. Although my records right now are in Oakland, and I'm in New York. <sighs> uh, except a handful of you know a, a handful of my my favorites and most cherished uh, two tote bags full that are <laughs> sitting here in the room with me that I'm going to be driving across country because I didn't want to trust entrust them to our to our pod delivery.
0: I understand.
1: But, but, but I, that's kind of what I like about records. i you know, I, look, I spend an hour making a playlist for something that's going to take me 10 minutes to do. <laughs> so I'm a huge fan of playlists and I, and a huge fan of getting kind of immersed in the distraction of putting them together and, and all that. And I have, you know, Spotify and MP3s and everything on my phone. Until it stopped functioning, I had an iPod Classic, so I'm a big fan of the digital age and the ability to kind of, well, suddenly I feel like hearing uh, a tribe called Quest instead of the Rolling Stones, and, right. and not this song, this next song. Well, we'll see, and then five seconds of that. Oh, well, let's move on to Can I Kick It? Oh, I don't know about that. let so so, I'm I'm cool with that, and I like following my whims, but I also love sitting down, putting a record on, and. Knowing that I have to pay close enough attention so that I can flip it over at the end of it, right? And that's one of the reasons why. Like I, I'm not. I like the sound of vinyl, but I'm not one of those. I don't want to say crazy because that's insulting. But I, are you one, one of those, those like super audiophile? I'm not. So okay. I, so I, I would rather have if an album came out and it fits on two sides of a piece of one record. Mm-hmm. You get one piece of vinyl. I prefer that to the high fidelity split over four sides kind of thing because, sure. I, because it just means I'm getting up and flipping the record and I'm being pulled out of the moment. And I kind of love vinyl. Like I have compilations that have like 10 songs on each side. I'm like, this is great. I don't have to flip it over <laughs> for however long that takes. And 30 minutes, 35 minutes, that's kind of nice. And I can kind of sit there. I don't, vinyl is like the one thing, and sometimes movies if I'm watching a movie the one thing that I really don't get pulled out of and feel like I need to do something else if I'm going to do the dishes I listen to mp3s podcasts whatever uh if I'm if I'm if I'm in the car obviously if I'm doing certain things other things and I want to have music I don't put on a record if I if I want to listen to the music and sit down and decompress or sit down and like you know, sing along as badly as I sing along to to, to Stevie Wonder or Crosby, Stills, National Young, people who you shouldn't be singing badly along with because they're so good, uh, That then I'll put on a record because I want to sit down and just like, have it kind of wash over me. Uh, and I can't, it, it, with vinyl, I can't be doing other stuff.
0: See, I admire that and I aspire to that because I used to be able to do that, not even with yeah just vinyl with like cassettes or whatever it was, sure. when I was a kid I could sit and listen to a piece of music and repeatedly listen to it and not feel compelled to do anything else unless it was like my grandmother saying hey come take out the garbage or something like that
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah
0: but now it's kind of like I mean it, it's you know sort of the multi multitask culture that we live in in addition to the fact that there are so many fucking distractions yeah. So I, I, and I've been thinking about this for a long time too. I really want to get myself back to a place where I can listen to not even a whole record, just a side of vinyl and not think about anything else, just immerse myself into the record. So mm-hmm. you were giving me something to aspire to. <laughs>
1: well, I have to say it, it sort of, I found that it, it it became even more necessary when, I mean, we're we're speaking now and everybody who, might be listening to this and that that you know some shit went down this year uh and it's still going on yeah so so when that started uh and and uh we're living in our in, in in our house in brooklyn and it is for the first three four five weeks i hear nothing but sirens
0: right and
1: and i'm kind of like losing my mind i found that for the first time ever, I really started taking things like meditation seriously. And and so I started doing a bit of that. And then I found listening to music, sitting down and listening to a record is can also be a really meditative experience. Mm -hmm. And I don't mean that, you know, like you have to go into a trance, but but or you know, you have to repeat a mantra, all of which really is helpful if you're meditating. But 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 I found that it was possible to sit there and just decompress. And I didn't even have to have headphones on. I could just have the music playing in the room, and it just completely kind of like drained some of that stressful energy out of me. And in the same way as I as I as I started doing uh, meditation a bit as well, you know, I would like be able to go into a room and just kind of like follow the the different things I found on YouTube, (laughs) and and I got some advice from Tim Burgess, the singer from the Charlatans, who I interviewed we talked about. He, he's a big proponent of meditation and is a big supporter of the David Lynch Foundation, which, which, is, which is kind of big on that. And so I kind of learned a lot just from looking around and these things became much more readily available and, and people were talking about them a lot more openly at the very beginning of the pandemic. And they're still, I'm sure, yeah. although you know, people also seem to be uh, interested in pretending it, it uh, isn't happening. But, but I, that stuff, I liked that people were kind of talking more openly about trying to take care of yourself emotionally because, god damn, I didn't really need it. <laughs> and it. And it helped a lot.
0: I mean, is that something that's always been kind of a question for you? Or was it just the circumstances of what's happened in the past six months, seven months that has, has spurred that on?
1: Well, yeah, I mean, it, it really is kind of a, a, a very new thing for me. I've always, it's always been something that I've been curious about, but I uh, could never I could never find my way into it until, you know, like the, 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 the tumblers all fell into place and the lock was opened and this was kind of revealed. And I don't mean to sound like, you know, like I've had a mystical transformation. It wasn't <laughs> like nearly that expansive, but, you know, it's like a conflation of a lot of different things. It's this terrible pandemic and it's this horrible shit that's going on with you know our fake president and the world and just like everything seems to be like uh it's it's very it's all very loud yeah (laughs) and a lot of it is terrible and i think what's going to come out of a lot of this stuff like black lives matter and with various other things that are happening right now i i tend to be you know generally try to be optimistic and i think that a lot of good is going to come out of this horrible shit that's happening right now, but also like sometimes I just need to like be able to breathe in the middle of it. And 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 so much has happened uh, over the over the past several months that uh, I have found comfort in being able to have quiet, reflective moments. And with a six year old, that's not easy.
0: <laughs> right? Exactly. <laughs> I, I, I gotta ask, like after having one kid. Why yep. did you decide to have a second kid? <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I uh, remarried uh, to uh, a great woman. And so other than, you know, she, she didn't have any children of her own. And so that became a conversation that we had very early in our relationship. And we got married in 2013. And then the next year we had Marguerite. It just became, you know, I, I, there are times, of course, when you look out at the world and say, what have I done bringing a kid to this? <laughs> horrible? But I also think that, you know, though people try to dismiss young people and sort of like, you know, millennials, you know, the way they talk about them. Right. Or, or, they, or they pronounce it more correctly than I just didn't say millennials. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think that the, the truth is that if, if we can get out of their way, kids like my son Ian's age, he's 18, and kids Marguerite's age, and kids of mu- a much younger generation than, than I am are, are going to really get this shit right. And hopefully we didn't fuck it all up to them. Can I, cu- can I curse? I'm sorry. You can
0: curse as much as you want.
1: All right. Hopefully we didn't fuck it all up too badly for them. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, it, that, that's why. I mean, I think, it's, I think it's important that if you're going to be a parent to bring a good person into this world because there are, there are a lot of good people out there. It doesn't feel like it sometimes, but right. there are a lot of good people out there. And the more, of, then we need more and more of them. And so I was, uh, that was, that was very uh, tempting to me. And naming her after my grandmother, who was a big civil rights supporter and would get out and march and everything like that. that and and her middle name is, uh, is Helen, which is my wife's grandmother, who's also like an amazing woman. I think we're setting her on the right course.
0: Good deal. So there are 12 years in, in between yeah. your two kids. What has been... Like obviously your parenting style is probably refined in in that time. I wonder. I'm not sure I'm not sure that's true.
1: I'm not sure that's true. Yeah, we you know, we, we have a very a very willful uh, six year old. So I'm not sure I'm not I'm not sure how much I've refined it because I feel
0: like, wow, didn't I learn anything the first time around? <laughs>
1: the kid just refuses to go to sleep or
0: whatever. Uh, well, I mean, that, I, I don't think that's indicative of anyone's parenting so much as six-year-olds just want to know every single thing that's going on all the time. And I hope
1: so. I hope so. We'll yeah. see. We're still trying, though.
0: Because, <laughs> I mean, look, I remember being six, and it was not easy to get me. if Particularly if there was something going on that I wanted to be a part of. Mm-hmm. Like, it's like, what do you mean I have to go to sleep at 9 o'clock? Michael Jackson's on TV. Like, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> And I yeah. would just kind of like lay in bed listening to 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 what was going on, and yeah. you know, so I think that's that's probably a common trait
1: for <laughs> children. Yeah, I'm sure sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure you're right. Kid- kids just don't they don't want to be uh, shut down, right? <laughs> At the end of the night. Yeah, I yeah. don't know how much I, I don't know how much changed. You know, I, I don't always feel like I got it right the first time. If I did, I'd, I'd be a fool. And you want you want to feel like you can, you know constantly work at it to, to keep trying to get it right so on um, there are it's funny because there are because of that age difference there are things that i kind of like can't it the amount of time between the two is so much that there were times over Margaret's six years that i'm like what did i do in this situation the last time i couldn't even remember you
0: remember right because it
1: really does kind of become a blur of, of late nights and diaper changing and 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 yelling at them to to not you know put their hands in a big thing of sugar and stuff it into their mouths or whatever. But, <laughs> but you know, it, 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 I probably, it, whatever I learned, I don't
0: really remember anything specific. It's just there. <laughs> I'll say, I guess some of it is also very instinctual. Yeah,
1: I, I hope so. I mean, you know, I, I had good parents, myself and and myself, not myself <laughs> uh, and, um, and, 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 Step parents and things, you know. I had I had decent examples around me of, of how to do it, so I sure I picked up some of it there. And uh, yeah,
0: good deal. Yep. So addressing parenting again, you have a son. Yep. And your son is trans. Yes. And without, you know, with respect to his privacy. Sure. I mean, do you what what was that process like as a parent? The toughest part of it,
1: and, and Ian, prior to coming out as trans, also went through, you know, a big search to find out who he was, and was, you know, e- exploring a sexuality and, and and who he was attracted to, and and things like that. And that was that was also also fine uh, because you do that as a teenager. I did some of that myself. Sure. Know, I was uh, I was, you know, I. I was interested in boys sometimes I never really explored it beyond thinking that they were attractive or anything like that and and you know i i but but it was you know so it was it was totally easy for me to allow not allow but to be comfortable with Ian doing the same sure when he came out as trans i it was the first time I was worried because of the climate in this country when it happened you know we have again, I refuse to use his name, but this fake president uh, I don't who, think... who is, uh, you know, who represents essentially everything I hate and is, you I know, mean, I don't wanna get into too much of that, but, but yeah. I think the, the, the climate and the atmosphere that he creates and the stoking of the worst in people as far as racism and, and homophobia and transphobia and, and, misogyny. The, and, and, and misogyny and everything. It was the, really the first time that that I heard uh something from my son and thought, this is a concern to me because, you know, not only is is, is Trump I there I did it. I'm sorry. Oh, Don't I know. Not only so is well. this uh, I'm sorry, I meant to say not only is this 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 vanity president rancid sack of shit, you know, kind of like stoking these things in people, it's also it, it's also Emboldening these people to behave in terrible ways. Mm-hmm. Like probably he's more them than us. Yeah, yeah, and it's happening probably more. You know, and and the internet does that too. Because mm. you know they can they they suddenly see people else see people who feel the same horrible prejudices themselves, and they in don't. Addition. Yeah, yeah. So so it was the first time I worried because I'm like you know, it's going to be really hard for you, but. You know, at the same time, it's not my decision, and I'm totally comfortable with it. and And, and, and it's really up to him to, to 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 follow his own path, and it's up to me to support him. And despite my misgivings about the world in which he was coming to terms with this, I have no prejudices uh, against trans people at all. Uh, quite the opposite, and 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 I'm. It doesn't. Bother me in any way to say this is my son Ian. So it it, it is uh, a transition that's still ongoing. He's about to start college, and he still has identification as his given name when he was born. Sure. And it's you know sort of like I believe over the next year we'll be kind of working on on at least you know on paper fully assuming his identity as Ian. A uh, uh, young man, so whatever I can do to help facilitate that i 'm there for, and whatever I can do to help them feel comfortable with that and accept it is, is I am also there for, just like I would would be with with people who are trans or 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 gay or anything that is sort of perceived by ignorant shitballs as as being wrong i'm i'm you know that's that 's not me. <laughs>
0: I love, I love your passion, like hearing you talk about your son and just feeling the passion of it really like warms my heart Um, (laughs) because I know that there are so many kids out there who have similar situations and their parents are not as understanding and supportive.
1: Yeah, I, I, well, I'm sure that's, I'm sure that's true. And it is, it is very sad uh, to know that so many people are going through struggles without having support from their family uh because I think it's hard enough to to figure out who you are when you when you have pressure from people to 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 be something else and when you have you know have grown up in a in a society and in an atmosphere at home where you know the thing that you realize you are is something that has been Criticized sometimes in really vulgar ways mm-hmm. uh, as being wrong, and, and and you know for for people to have to grow up and 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 find themselves in that atmosphere is just heartbreaking to me. Like you know, I'm lucky in that I was never around that kind of atmosphere growing up myself, and have tried very hard not to have that kind of atmosphere for around my kids, and it it just is is so sad when people have to go through that you know and 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 when you know they go to school and people are cruel Um, i mean look i was i was bullied when i was in school and i was called a faggot because i was listening to (laughs) because i was listening to duran duran trying to dress up like duran duran in my you know my cheap ass version of that (laughs) because they were (laughs) being styled
0: photos
1: (laughs) i know you know i did the best i could and you know i was dying my hair and everything and i was I was bullied pretty relentlessly uh, for being something i uh, that I wasn't even being. I was just being myself right it didn't you know i wasn't so so for people to have to go through that as they're also uh, trying to find their identity is just it's just heartbreaking and to the degree that I was bullied is is certainly nothing compared to what kids who are trans or kids who are gay sometimes have to go through sure but what it, but it really you know it it affected me terribly, and so I can only imagine how hard it is for some of them. But, saying, knowing that, that kids have to go through that, I think they're, and we were talking about kids earlier, young people, I think it's also, it's in general, I think is more accepted. Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, now than it was, and I'm not sure how much my son might have gone through. Like, I don't know if he was bullied as much as I was. <laughs> Right. Uh, when I was a kid, and I was just you know trying to flounce around like a like a new romantic, uh, <laughs> you know, like I you know like I was like following Spandau Ballet's tour bus or something. <laughs> but but I but yeah, I, I think kids today, it's and, and that's why I kind of uh, am optimistic or hopeful about the future and that we will, you know, be able to kind of reject all this that that so much of the of the furor that we see in society right now against people of color and people who are not adhering to normal perceived normal, I should say, right. Sexual mores and, and, and gender identity and everything else. I think the reason so much of that is happening right now is because it's the last desperate attempt for these people who are going the way of the dodo to try and, you know, to, 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 to cling to something that's that's over (laughs) yes
0: yeah i i don't remember if it was on a previous recording i did of this podcast or just speaking to somebody you know just having a conversation with somebody one-on-one but it definitely feels like when you feel like you're about to lose something you grasp harder at it and that is what feels like is going on right now uh politically like you know Races. people are are standing up for equality people are being accepted for their ethnicities and religions uh, and being not religious and you know their gender identities and sexual fluidity and all that stuff and older people are just kind of like what the fuck is happening here like we've (laughs) lost we've lost our grip and the people in power you know are you know look i watched i mean this is going to time stamp this episode but i watched uh, a piece of aoc's speech last night and mm-hmm. was just like these old ass white men in power have got to be like shitting their you know shitting their pants that people like so. this are coming <laughs> up in the political establishment and yep. all such they're going to do everything they can to get her the fuck out
1: And it's not going to work.
0: Yeah, 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 (laughs) absolutely. And look,
1: I'm, I'm an old ass white man. And I think... You're a middle-aged ass white man. (laughs) Well, but, but I, you know, like, I am, I mean, I, my gray hairs say otherwise. But, but, you know, I think it's great. Like, I can't fucking wait because I've been waiting for this my whole life. And we've had some incredible progress made in my lifetime. And we have also had... uh, true signs like what's this reckoning that's happening with black lives matter that the kind of progress that we need to see hasn't happened right uh and you know like honestly with if not for and i don't want to say it because this this is going to come out as saying that as as being happy about some of the stuff that's happening it is not but if not for some of the awful shit that we've had to go through we might not have had so many people finally getting on board mm-hmm. with some of the changes that need to be made in the way we treat each other and so if like 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 as much as i hate hate the president the fake and i'm throwing up air quotes here president <laughs> cuz he's not he's not him and all of his enablers and the gop and all these terrible 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 people as much as i hate them if they didn't happen, we might still be kind of like rolling along and being okay with some bad shit. Yeah, and I know that a lot of this stuff has to happen incrementally because revolution is is uh, it's a process. It it, yeah, and uh, and if at least something good, if we're not all dead from coronavirus, because because you know the president is too stupid to do anything about it and too greedy.
0: Well, he's uh, it's finally started telling everyone to wear a mask, I guess that's If anybody needs to cover their ugly fucking face with a mask, <laughs> it should be that guy. He <laughs> should,
1: you know, he should make sure he should get one, guess one that, you know, how great would it be if somebody handed him one that had Obama's face on it? Ah. He would lose his, he would lose what's left of his mind. But, but no, I, you know, I, I think, you know, I think that some good can come out of this because it really is, yes, this is the most divisive administration in the history of the planet. <laughs>
0: Yeah. But not just in the
1: history of this country, the history of the planet is terrible people doing terrible things. But I think that, you know, hopefully and optimistically, it gets us kind of to where we need to be. And this time next year, you know, we'll all be hugging each other. and We won't be wearing masks and, 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 you know, those guys will be, you know, on a, on a burning Viking ship <laughs> on their last, you know, their last, well, they wouldn't be going to Valhalla. They'd be going to hell. If, if hell exists, you know, these guys go in there. But, but you know, hopefully we will be seeing the last of them and maybe some of them will be going to prison. That's yeah. my fantasy.
0: That was, that was my fantasy. <laughs> some of them are going to jail. And, yeah. you know, will live the probably relatively short uh, remainder of their lives behind bars.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I would also, I, I much as I would love to see the air quotes president getting uh, hustled out of the White House in manacles, I would also accept him dying a horribly painful and embarrassing death, perhaps on a toilet. Well, but, but no, he, this, would be, this would have to be more public. So maybe like he would have, you know, explosive diarrhea while he was at one of his terrible rallies and it kills him, whatever, like something that would be horribly humili- humiliating for everybody. Uh, that's, that's, I mean, that's, that would be fine too. Uh, but no, honestly, I would rather see them get their, Get their reckoning and, yeah. and and be thrown in prison and you know have we're tearing down all these terrible civil war monuments. Uh, I think we need to tear down all the Trump hotels and all those all that ugly shit too. Seriously,
0: <laughs> seriously, you know, as yeah. a parent would say to a child, I think you need some time to think about what you've done.
1: <laughs> that would require uh, somebody who's capable of uh, self-reflection, which yeah, that's he is true. not.
0: That's true too. That is true too. So. What I've just started doing, Crispin, is yeah. giving my guests the choice of two final questions. Okay. But before I give you the choice of the final questions, I want to know when the Rock and Roll Explorers Guide to San Francisco is coming out. So far, so it was actually supposed to be out last month.
1: But again, you, you may have heard the world. pandemic thing is going <laughs> on. It was everything kind of slowed down. It's back on track publisher now, and it is, fingers crossed, coming out in uh, March 2021, by which time I hope to be able to actually do in-person book events in the Bay Area. We should be seeing the final manuscript sometime within the next week or two Ooh, that's uh, before be it goes,
0: exciting.
1: before it gets laid out. Uh, yeah, it is. It's very exciting. So, yeah, so ideally, you know, people will be able to get it. The New York book is still available, of course, and you can get that and everything else. I strongly encourage people to look for these books and others at independent booksellers and record shops. If you, you know, if you must go to to the big online retailers, who am I to say no, except, you know, that that indies really need your help right now. That and, is uh, absolutely right. And And, you know... They will get the book if they don't have it in stock. I know, you know, all over New York City, they have it. Alley Jackson, Strand, Rough Trade stocks it in Brooklyn. We did our book launch there for the New York Book. So, you know, five, these books are awesome. They're basically, you know, they're like tour guides for uh, walking around the city in which you live or the city in which you want to visit. And uh, it's all about rock and roll history and where it happened and stuff. They're very cool. Lots of fun stories in them too. And uh, get them at an indie right now. And you can pre-order the, the San Francisco Explorer already, so that's cool too.
0: Oh, right on. Yep. Okay, so here's here your, your choice here. Okay. Potential question A is, what is the best advice that you have ever received? And question B is, if you could tell, if you as 50-year-old Crispin could tell 15-year-old Crispin something, what would you tell him?
1: <laughs> wow. If I could, I'll, I'll, I'll go with the second question Okay. Uh, because I've gotten lots of great advice. It would be hard for me to pick one one piece of advice. I will say that what I would tell 15-year-old Crispin is to pay closer attention in school.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Why is that?
1: <laughs> well, I was really kind of, I didn't take it very seriously. And, and you know, it, it, it made things for me in career-wise and everything a lot harder than it needed to be. And, you know, I was kind of a fuck up in high school and, and enjoyed just, like, farting around, <laughs> trying to, you know, play drums in my garage punk bands and, and you know, listen to records and things like that when I could have been studying and getting my homework done on time and all that stuff. So that would be my, that's, that's the first thing that that rings a bell, and then the second would be, you know, to invest in Lysol wipes around
0: 2019. (laughs) Or hand sanitizer.
1: (laughs) Yeah, something like that.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I, you know, that's, that's a super good call. Or invest in Zoom. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm still not
1: 100% sure how it works, so I'm not, I'm not sure that. But yeah, I would, I would, I would tell myself definitely pay closer attention in school, and then you know watch out for people who aren't wearing masks right now.
0: You can find Crispin's books at most bookstores. I would, of course, urge you to shop independent booksellers because Amazon has enough money. If you'd like to follow Crispin on socials, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram as Stuperfly, that is S-T-U-P-O-R-F-L-Y. I would like to thank Crispin for being so giving of his time, particularly in the middle of a move, which must have been quite stressful. Uh, If you're wondering how the move actually went, he and his belongings and his family have safely arrived in the Bay Area, and he's gotten through his two weeks of quarantine. I hope that Crispin and his family have a very happy holiday season, and I hope you do as well. In each episode, I try to spotlight a specific charity to donate to. In the spirit of Giving Tuesday, which was yesterday, if you're listening to this on the day it's released, and in the spirit of World AIDS Day, which was also yesterday, if you're listening to this on the day in which it was released, I would like to ask you to please consider donating to GMHC, the Gay Men's Health Crisis. Uh, The GMHC is a New York City-based, nonprofit, volunteer-supported, and community-based AIDS service organization whose mission statement is to end the AIDS epidemic and uplift the lives of all affected. The name of the charity, initially, the Gay Men's Health Crisis, uh, speaks to the fact that this charity was founded back in 1982, in the early days of the AIDS epidemic, when the main people getting it were queer men. Uh, The GMHC has now been initialized because, obviously, in the past almost 40 years, geez, it's hard to believe it's been 40 years. AIDS has affected pretty much every community in existence, and it is still important for you to donate. There is still no cure for AIDS. So, if you would like to know more, please go to gmhc.org, and uh, please, if you can, donate to the GMHC. Thank you. And of course, I'll remind you again to please subscribe, rate, leave a comment. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, it is much appreciated and only helps our mission, get out to more and more people. And uh, make sure you follow me on social media. I am on Instagram at DetoxPodGuy, and I am on Twitter at TizMikeJoseph. If you have an idea for a theme or a guest, or if you yourself want to be on the show, you can reach me via either of those social media platforms, or you can can email me at DetoxPod at gmail.com. Once again, I am Mike Joseph. This is the Detoxicity Podcast. I wish you continued safety and health for you and yours. Till next time, peace, y'all.